recognized symbol of excellence in sports entertainment. to Monday Night Sensecast. I am your host, Taylor Gibson. Joining me, as always, from the tropical metropolis of Calgary, Alberta, my co-host, Tim Jensen. Tim, how's it going, sir? Going good, and isn't it kind of crazy to have hockey back and, like, sense hockey? It is. Man, like, it is so crazy to have the NHL, not just the NHL back, but to have the Ottawa Senators back after such a long layaway. Yeah, like, almost a year. Almost a year. Almost a year, Tim. So, Tim, first of all, I'm I'm super excited to be back to talk about the Ottawa Senators here on the Third Line Plug Sensecast, but also I'm very excited to get our fourth season a podcast started. Now, before we go on and talk about everything we got to talk about tonight, including our cover athlete top of the hour, the two games we're going to talk about, we got a little bit of house cleaning to do. Because I don't know if you knew this. Today, January 18th, 2021, it has officially been 310 days since our third season ended. That's a pretty familiar number you're pulling up there. And not only that, it was also exactly 310 days between the Ottawa Senators' final game of 2020 versus the Los Angeles Kings and the Ottawa Senators starting the 2021 season versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. Oh, that's why it's familiar. You know, in that time, in that 310 days between season three and season four, the world changed. And not for the better. With everything going on in the world between COVID, protests around the world, drama everywhere, since social media also being very dramatic as always, everything has been changed and not for the better. And the one thing that I can say, Tim, is that I can't speak for yourself. I can only speak for me on this one. For all the BS that's going on in the world, I definitely use hockey as an escape is a distraction and we did not have that for a while and with everything going on not just in the world but in my own life it was so nice to have the podcast here because i don't know what i would have done if i didn't have this year i would have gone absolutely batshit insane as we've talked about on our previous episode and i know a lot of people listen to all the COVID episodes that we did. We did well over 20 episodes and they were all great. I still don't know how we managed to get 20 episodes out of a time with no hockey. Well, you know what, Tim, I think we can only really contribute that to the work ethic that we have through the podcast. And also because this is something that 
you know, we do for fun. We like, we're not being paid to do this. We're not doing this as a career. We're doing this because we're two Senators fans who want to get together and talk about hockey. And have a fun time doing it. So I guess that what I'm trying to say here is thank you to you, the fans. Without you guys listening to it, without you guys supporting us, getting your social media thoughts, it really makes it all the worthwhile. And to know that we are officially back for the Monday Night Sensecast edition of Season 4. Yeah, we got a lot of good stuff coming. We do have a lot of good stuff coming. So, you know, Tim, usually with our season opening episodes, we always talk about the Third Line Plug charity donation that we do every year. Now, the last couple of years, we've been donating some money to the Ottawa Centers Foundation. One little problem with that. They're not tied to the team anymore. No. In fact, they stopped being tied to the team right after we interviewed Bruce Firestone, the man who started it all. I'm not saying the two are, you know, related in any way. It was just a coincidence. And definitely an odd one. For sure. Now, in saying that, and in the time that we have been away, since social media really came together for somebody special. Now, I don't know if you've been following this very closely, Tim. I know I've been following it kind of closely. There's a gentleman by the name of Brian Frazier. He was a Ottawa radio producer, massive Senators fan, big-time New Orleans Saints fans, and unfortunately they lost yesterday to Tom Brady, but, you know, that is what it is. So if you've been following Brian on social media, you know that he was diagnosed with leukemia in the last couple of years. And his leukemia came back. So quite recently, he put out a thread saying that he's going to withgo further treatment of his leukemia. Because from what he says, it would have given him a 20% chance to live. I don't know Brian personally. Our interactions with him have been very small and very limited. I was really gutted to hear this. And to see Sen's Twitter and Sen's personalities come together in support of him really goes to show that even though Sen's Twitter is very toxic and it's a bit of a hellhole at times, when something like this happens, we always band together to help each other. Yeah, and Stu Strong, I think, is probably one of the best examples of it. But honestly, I'd say uh, as far as social media fan bases go, Sen's Twitter is one of the better ones. Although, like, for those who don't... animate Twitter. Oh, well, actually, have you, I don't know if you follow um, the Senators on Instagram. Sen's Instagram game's actually pretty hot right now. All the players are digging it, yeah. So, the reason why we're bringing up Brian Frazier in our third-line plug charity donation is I personally reached out to Brian after he put out this Twitter thread because we knew that we wanted to do a charity donation for Season 4. We got in touch with Brian and we asked him. He said, listen, like we're a podcast. We do a charity donation every year. In honor of what he's been going through, we would like to donate our charity to the, do- to the charity of his choosing. Brian got back to us and he suggested the Canadian Blood Services, which is what our Season 4 charity donation will go to in honor of Brian. And, yeah, so uh, <coughs> excuse me. Yes, so 
like obviously if you followed on social media you might be aware about bonk's mullet and the sends money on the board this is kind of no different so how we're going to be doing this and it's not going to be any different from how we've been doing it in the past so how we've been doing this is on my end i will donate one dollar for every goal scored by thomas shabbat and brady to chuck tim will donate one dollar for every assist by thomas shabbat and brady to chuck and the both of us will donate two dollars for every senator's win five dollars for every shutout and a cool $10 for every victory versus the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, we've already got a good amount of money on the board, and uh, we're two games into the season. I know. It's hard to believe, man. Like, it's hard to believe that hockey's already been back, and it's actually been good. And we'll obviously talk about that a little bit later in the show. But before we go and talk about our cover athlete, Tim... And this is a big name, and a lot of people may not realize that he played for the Ottawa Senators. There's something that I got to do. Now, every year since we've been doing this podcast, I always open up a cold beer to start the season off. And this is no different. So, I've got myself a tasty craft beer here. I'm going to have a quick look here at the bottle. This is a Jagged Face IPA from Mount Aerosmith Brewing, and where is this brewed out of? Parksville. So it's from up island. So in honor of the guys over at Left Coast Leaves Podcast, who are on our show, they do this every episode. They talk about a cold beer that they're having. I am going to jump on the bandwagon, Tim, and I'm going to have a cold beer in honor of our fourth season and our upcoming cover athletes. So, okay, I'm going to have a quick tasty right here. Ooh, it's nice and brown. Let's have a look. See. <laughs> Not bad. Not a, not a bad IPA. That's good. Yeah, finishes... Yeah, it's pretty hoppy. Finishes clean, though. That's really nice. I know you're not a big drinker, but I'm actually quite enjoying this, so... Oh, that, that's awesome. <sighs> Solid. Here, I'm going to top that up right there. Uh, so that's really, really good stuff. So I'm going to put this over here, because we got to talk about our cover athlete. Get over there. Okay. So, Tim, let's talk a little bit about our cover athlete, because today's cover athlete for Season 4, Episode 1, in chronological order, Episode 78, is Pavel Dimitra. Let's take a poll right now, Tim. If I had never told you who Pavel Dimit- that Pavel Dimitra was a cover athlete, would you have ever guessed he was an Ottawa Senator at one time? Uh, I'm going to wreck your poll. I do. Well then. So, give a little background about Pavel Dimitra. He was drafted 227th overall by the Ottawa Senators in 1993. He spent three seasons with the Ottawa Senators, recording 11 goals, 13 assists for 25 points in 47 games. He was later traded to the St. Louis Blues in November of 1996. He would spend eight seasons with the St. Louis Blues before having stints for the LA Kings, Minnesota Wild, and the Vancouver Canucks. Unfortunately, in 2021, when Pavel Dimitra's name gets mentioned, it always tied back to the locomotive plane crash of 2011. So, let's talk a little bit about Pavel Dimitra, Tim. And I always thought of Pavel Dimitra as a great scoring winger, but 
I don't know if I would go so far saying he was the elite of the elite goal scorers. I would say he's more of a tier two goal scorer of the time he was in the NHL. So I would like to get your take on Pavel Dimitras, the hockey player. Pavel Dimitras, incredibly skilled. We're talking about a guy who was, for the better part of 10 years, good for a point a game. That's insanity. The fact that he wasn't part of that upper crust of players is just a testament to the talent that the NHL had in the late 90s, early 2000s. It's absolutely insane. And, you know, and I'm looking at his stats right now, you know, because I'm looking at it. Like, you look at his years in St. Louis. He had 52 points, 89. Like, he was always a consistent 70, 80-point guy. He topped out at 93 in the 0203 season. And, you know, I'm just looking through his stats. Like, the guy recorded 768 points in 847 games. And his name doesn't get mentioned nearly enough anymore when talking about the talent pool of the early 2000s hockey players. Yeah. And it's it's tough just because uh, there was a lot of good hockey players back then. But Pavel Dimitra is a great player in his own right. Yeah, it was insane. I mean, it wasn't so insane the fact that Pavel Dimitra was as talented as he was and yet doesn't get recognized as one of those top guys. And and I was thinking about this earlier today, and I was like, you know, because when you think of the time that Pavel Dimitra was in the NHL, think of the other Slovaks that were in the league at the time. You know, you see you had Zygmunt Palfi, you had Pavel Dimitra, Peter Bondra, later Marian Hosa came along, Marian Gabbert came around, so Daniel Chara came along. So it's often crazy that Slovakia has just been this country, for as small as it is, produced such talented hockey players. Yeah, and we're really lucky today because uh, we have a guest on the show who can talk about Pavel Dimitra better than either of us can. That is true, Tim. That is true. So we've actually avoided talking about this on social media. We actually have a very special guest joining us on the line to talk about Pavel Dimitra. He was a former teammate of Pavel's, a good friend, and he is a returning guest on the Third Light Plugged Sensecast. So, Tim, without further ado, let's turn it over to our good friend of the show, Mr. Jamie McLennan. Okay, so joining us on the line to talk about our cover athlete for this week is one of Pavel Dimitra's former teammates turned TSN hockey analyst. Please welcome back to the program, Jamie McLennan. Jamie, how's it going? Welcome back to the show. Not too bad. How are you guys doing today? Doing really well, man. Doing really well. You know, super excited to have you back on. And we knew when Pavel Dimitra came up for our cover athlete, I knew there was only one person we can call. Unfortunately, Chris Pronger didn't take our call. So we figured, oh, let's call Noodles and get him back on. There you go. (laughs) Yeah, he's, uh, Pavel was a special teammate of mine for sure. And what a great player, but even better person. He was, uh, there's a guy we stayed in touch, obviously, and you know was was so sad to hear of what happened. Uh, lost a lot of friends on that flight, and you know, like I say, I I got close with with Pavel in St. Louis, my three years there, and uh, you know stayed in touch after. And even when I retired, I got a chance to see him when I was in the media, and and it was it was pretty cool. Like I say, I've always had a always had a special place in my heart for him, and always will. Jamie, when talking about Pavel, and it's funny, like, I was going back on YouTube watching clips of him, and honestly, I kind of forgot how good of a hockey player he was, because I remember him in the 2000s, he was definitely a star player, he put up great numbers in St. Louis and everywhere he went, 
it just kind of seems like nowadays, like Pavel's name doesn't get mentioned nearly enough when talking about the star players from that from that period of time. And I would like to know if on your end, like, why do you think that is? Do you just think it was Pavel's personality wasn't flashy enough, or do you think of just how deep that talent pool was in the two thousands? I, I think it was the talent pool because the personality, obviously, you know, when you're not North American. People think there's a language barrier, but he's, he spoke uh, English very well and was a, such a, uh, a really popular teammate. So that, that's what was neat for me because uh, I developed a, a really good friendship with him right away. And you know, with all the Slovaks, there was about five or six on our team in St. Louis. We called them the Slovakian Mafia. Uh, you know, with Hans Zeus and Ladislav Nagy and Lubos Barteko and Pav, like... There was, like I say, an Yaroslav of suit. There was just so many of them, and, and we were we were all very close, and we were kind of all in that age where we, we all hung out together and really close team. But I, I coming back, I, I, I don't know if he got enough play for how good he was just based on how good our team was, too, and how much star power we did have, in, for example, in St. Louis with Pronger and Brett Hall and Pierre Turgeon and... Um, Al McInnes, you know, like Guy Grant Fear, like you name it. So, so Pav, even though he was a superstar, he may just kind of deferred to those other guys. Absolutely. And even talking about Pavel with St. Louis, and I know when you were on last time, like we talked a lot about guys like Grant Fear and Ron Hextel and some of your former teammates. Pavel wasn't a guy who got mentioned. I know you talked about Marion Gabrick as well. And I would always like to know, like in St. Louis, because now with things like spit and chicklets and some of the other sports podcasts, you always get a sense that St. Louis is a great hockey town. Like we talked about, but I always get the sense nowadays when you hear these ex players of how tight knit that room was during your career. Like, have you ever played on a team that was as tight knit as St. Louis was? The only other team that I played on that was that tight was uh, the 2004 Calgary flames. We had a great group there. Same type of thing. You know, everyone got along kind of a, you know, I don't want to say younger single group, but it was it was more just, uh, you know, everyone kind of just hung out. You know, we were all like either mid to late 20s. I was in my 30s, but uh, I acted like I was mid to late 20s. So, you know, ultimately it was just, that's the only other team that I played on was that tight. And that group, I got traded the deadline, but that group ended up going to uh, the finals and losing to Tampa. So, you know, like chemistry is a big thing friendships uh you know everything that uh, we just talked about uh, it goes such a long way to translating to on-ice success and you know that's uh those groups in st louis we were very tight you know and and you look at teams that win and have success together a lot of the guys uh, the one consistent thing is they all get along and, and seem to be friends now when talking about pavel and he had a a, quite a long career in the National Hockey League, playing over 19 seasons with five or six different teams. A lot of people yeah. nowadays may not seem to realize that Pavel was actually drafted and started his career with the Ottawa Senators. And during the time that you knew him, did Pavel ever talk about his time with the Senators? Absolutely. You know, he loved the city of Ottawa. And and you, you mentioned, you know, when teams draft and develop or, you know, draft guys and give them an opportunity, that's... They always have a special place. Like, I know I was drafted by the New York Islanders and played my first games with the Islanders. Not many people remember me as an Islander. They remember me either as a St. Louis Blue or a Calgary Flame. I mean, I was much traveled. But, you know, Pavel 
talked about how he loved the city. You know, he talked about his team and, and how his team was, uh, uh, you know, they didn't have a ton, ton of a success, but it was more about, you know, the guys that he always stayed in touch with. I, I just think that, you know, a guy coming from where he was in Slovakia, Ottawa, you know, it's a, you guys know it. It's a small town feel. I think it welcomed him and he really loved that city. When Pavel got drafted in 93, and I and it just, I don't know what it was, and maybe because I wasn't around at the time, but it just seems like the Senators kind of gave up on him. And when you look back at, like, look at the stats on Hockey DB, you can tell, like, he was getting better, getting better, getting better, and then he got traded to St. Louis. And especially a year after he got drafted, or sorry, he got, a year after he got traded is when the Senators drafted Marion Hossa. So, when looking back at the Senators, and you know, you talk about guys like Mika Zibanejad and some of these young players that, you know, they were getting better, getting better, and the Sens traded them. When looking back, is Pavel Dimitra maybe the best player that Autumn and that Autumn got away from the Senators? He's one of them. You know, I, I, I don't know, like, I'm not big on, like, ranking. I would just say he's one of them for sure because uh, I have to go back and look, like, you know, where did Chara, was Chara drafted? I can't remember where Chara was drafted and who, where he went. Like, I know there's some, some players that certainly went through Ottawa and that were amazing players, but one of the best, absolutely. I mean, I look at, I think of Pavel, he was so skilled, but the, I'll tell you a quick story. I'm not, I'm not sure if we, we chatted about this before. He was so competitive and so hard on himself. He used to yell at himself into the, the mirror about, uh, scoring that night and, and, and being prepared. He was a, I don't want to say superstitious, but he certainly was a routine orientated player. So, you know, at a young age, yeah, maybe he hadn't come into his own in Ottawa, but you certainly knew he was a special player, highly skilled. And obviously it, it helped in St. Louis because we were so strong that and he was surrounded with great players. But, you know, I could easily say, because I, I know I don't want to get butchered or uh, bullied by somebody I'm joking but like somebody else being like how could you say that when Marion Hosa or somebody else but like I look at, at at Pav as for sure one of the greatest players who ever went through the Senators organization I have no doubt in my mind about that and it's interesting looking back in that period of time where Slovakia being as small as it is and you look at the amount of star players that came into the NHL including players that you played obviously with Pavel Dimitra you played with Marion Gabrick, Zygmunt Palfi, and I always wonder, like, how is it that Slovakia, for being as small as it is, was able to produce a lot of these star players? Well, what's amazing is is they, it's like these small regions. It's like Finland producing goaltenders or Sweden producing defensemen. You know, like I just I look at it and these places they they're small but they're hockey crazy. So that's what's uh, amazing for me is you know I've been to Slovakia. And everything is all about hockey and the pro hockey players that have come out of there. So uh, you're right. It may not be the biggest on the map, but the passion in those countries about hockey is, is second to none. Uh, it's, it is like Canadian or, or an American uh, thought process when it comes to their sports. I guess uh, you already told us one story about uh, Pavel. Do you have another fun one? Uh, uh, Pavel? For sure. Did I ever tell you is the guy's... I, you have to remind me if I ever told you the story of uh, me doing shots at his house. No, I don't think you ever oh. mentioned this. Okay, so I used to brag about, you know, I could 
I could drink vodka or whatever and have a little fun. And, and those guys knew I liked to go out and enjoy myself. So we were after the game one time, the Slovaks invited me over to Pav's house. And so it was, you know, Pav and Michael Hanzus and all the, the mafia, the Slovakian mafia. And they used to drink this stuff called Sliovica, which is like it's gasoline. It's basically drinking gasoline. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and it's like very high... Uh, it's almost like absinthe, you know, it's like 60 proof or something. It's something gross. And like one, one shot will like do you in. And I went over there and I had like three shots of it. And I don't remember getting home. Like I, I don't remember, like, I, I remember them taking care of me and us having a lot of laughs and stuff. But like this stuff, he would always joke, like you want some real alcohol, you come visit us. And and I remember going to Pavs one night, and I don't think Hanzus drinks, but it was the other guys that, uh, you know, it was Pav and Barteco and and uh, uh, Yaroslav Upsud and, and Nagy. They, I think we were all drinking it, but I, I decided to be a bit of a hero, and all I remember is waking up the next day wondering what the hell happened. Well, I guess we now know what to avoid. <laughs> yeah. Sli- Slovakian Sliovica, I think it's called. It's, it was... It, it, honestly, it tastes a little bit like licorice, but like with a gasoline feel to it, like a burn going down. It's crazy. Oh, kind of like, uh, not, was it bambooza? I think that's what it's called. Yeah. Well, I think, it, I, I don't know. Like absinthe would be the closest thing. Like a, absinthe is like a really highly concentrated alcohol. And you can, you have like one shot and you feel like you're, you're wasted. So I, I wasn't that big of a drinker, but I remember, you know, struggling, uh, Struggling to function, put it that way. So, you know, Jamie, we've been talking all kinds of great stuff about Pavel Demetra, and unfortunately we do need to bring something very serious up. And given that this this September will be the 10-year anniversary of Pavel's passing in the locomotive plane crash, and I know, and I'm reading in your book, and I know that you talked about your time in the KHL, did Pavel's passing in the locomotive plane crash hit that much harder home, given your experience in the KHL? Absolutely. You know, you, you talk about my book. I had dedicated a full couple chapters to the KHL that I ended up omitting because of that plane crash. You know, because I had, I would tell some funny stories about the KHL. But, you know, ironically, you know, the night before the plane crash, Brad McCrimmon, who was the coach there, had sent a, a message through a friend and said, uh, you know, tell Newells that everything he told us about Russia is true. And, you know, talking about how it was, uh, you know, great country, great things, you know, paid well, all of that, but planes were scary and some of the things were a little bit weird. And uh, I wake up the next morning at the time, you know, my wife at the time was my girlfriend at the time. She was calling me and saying, like, did you see what happened? And it was just a surreal for me and you know one of the saddest moments because you know it wasn't just have uh it was brad mccrimmon you know carl rakunik like i played with a like five or six i think six guys on that team i had played with and and knew and had relationships with so you know very very sad igor korolev was my roommate when i went to russia and he was on that flight so you're right it's it's somber it's sad uh, you never want to see something like that. Obviously, it was an accident, but you always wonder: is it preventable? What you know? What could have been done different to 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 not have those those players perish that night? So, unfortunately, it's it's a 
it's a sad moment and you know I guess coming back to it I, like I'll never forget uh, you know the memories I have of playing with all of those players not just uh, not just Pav but every you know the, the the six guys on the plane so Jamie we can't thank you enough for taking some time out of your schedule to join us this evening to talk about Pavel Dimitra now before we let you go I don't want to end this on such a dour note talking about the locomotive plane crash so I guess we'll finish off by asking, say if somebody was to come up to you, well, I guess maybe not so much nowadays with COVID-19 and the a lockdown in Ontario, but say if somebody was to hit you up on Twitter or if they were to run it to you into a, at a game, if they were to ask you about Pavel Dimitra, what is the one thing you would tell them about? About Pav? Yes. Um, Hockey-wise or just a person? Because there's two things. Like Hockey-wise, he had this crazy little deek move that... We used to do at the end of the at end of practice every day. He'd come. He was so good on breakaways, and he would come in really wide and slow up, and then just chip it back, almost like Datsuk. And I could never stop it. And he would just mess with me every day. And uh, you know, I, I just I always remember that because you know, as as hard as I tried to stop him, he had such a good shot and had su- such great hands. So that would be like the hockey part. The personal part, his wife. I used to tease him that she would always call me. I would be like, yeah, Maya called me and, and, uh, uh, you know, told me to, you, you have to start working harder and that she likes me more than you. And I used to just tease him all the time. And, and she knew about it too. She was very shy. And, and so, and she didn't speak English very well. So I would see her at the games and give her like a big hug and stuff. And I just, uh, I, thinking back about that, about Pav, that he was just such a bright person, like a personality that you wanted to be around. So I, I guess from a personal standpoint, like, uh, you know, if I, I had to tell somebody about Pav, it's just, even if you didn't, you know, speak the same language, he, you wanted to be around him. He had like this, this positive force field, this vibe. And, uh, and you wanted to, you wanted to be around that. So um, you know, that's, uh, that's what I miss most about him. So, uh, that, that's probably my fondest memory of him. Jamie, thank you so much for coming on once again and talking about Pavel Dimitra. All the best to you on with overdrive. And of course, we're doing the center's games this season. And hopefully by the end of this coming season, we'll have to get you back on the podcast for another interview. Absolutely. Sounds good. Awesome. Thanks so much. Noodles. Yeah, you bet. We'll talk soon. Take care. Okay, we are back. A huge shout-out and a big thank you to TSN's own Jamie McLennan for coming on to talk about Pavel Dimitra. Now, two things, actually, we didn't talk about before we turned it over to Jamie. And when talking about Pavel Dimitra, on our Third Line Plug Sensecast Twitter page, I put out that Pavel Dimitra was going to be our cover lafferty for this week. And I asked our listeners, do they have any memories of Pavel playing for the Senators? And we actually had two people that actually reached out to us and talked about their own experiences with Pavel playing for the Senators. So this one comes from at Dave Bush Comedy. His tweet writes, he was an awesome player on the wrong side of the worst trade in Senators history. I was behind the bench and the players came over during a stop and play to talk to the coach. My buddy pulled out his camera for a pick and Pavel did a funny face at him. Great memory. So that's just one story. You know, that kind of really loops in with what Jamie was saying about Pavel just being this really bright person. 
Absolutely. And you know what's funny? I was thinking about that too when Noodles were talking about it. And also our Bod McKinnon, he talked about his three seasons with the PEI Senators, his first exposure his first exposure to live professional hockey foundation for his Sens Foundum. Damn. Yeah. So that's, that's awesome. That's honestly really, really cool. And I think for season four, I think I'm gonna we're gonna continue that trend of whenever we have a cover athlete, we'll ask our listeners what were some of their thoughts of this player playing for them? Because honestly, you know, it it's one thing for us to talk about it. It's another to get listeners to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And it's awesome that we can kind of be a jumping off point to be talking about sense players and experiences we've all had with the team we love. It's awesome. So turning our attention to next week's cover athlete poll, because next week's episode will be season four, episode two in chronological order, episode 79. Now we got two men on the board. We've got Drake Batherson and Chase Harlock. And looking at the poll right now, it looks like uh, Drake Batherson is going to be the one. Mm-hmm. I'm not even that surprised to be honest with you, just because he is the most current Ottawa Senator, but I guess if he wins our cover athlete poll for next week, I guess this automatically means that he's not going to qualify for when we get to episode 119. I guess. But at the same time, I need to go through and buy my Batherson jersey. I think so. Because, I mean, think about it. You know what? I have a, new, a brand new 2D Sense jersey, and it is beautiful. It's hard because at the same time, it's like a, it's like it's a really nice jersey, but at the same time, Every time I get to the checkout page and look at the price, I'm like, do I actually want to spend this money on this? I will say one thing, Tim. If you are going to get one of the new 2D Sens jerseys, don't buy the Fanatics one. Because I've, oh, no. I've seen the Fanatics one, and it looks so oddly cheap-looking. And I understand it's Fanatics. Fanatics is more for fans. But you just look at it. The logo itself looks kind of faded. It just looks kind of cheap. And I didn't buy the Fanax one. I bought the Adidas one, which was like, you know, 252 bucks. But you know what? I bought it. I have no regrets. And also a quick shout out to Sens Hour because I don't know if you saw this on their Twitter page, Tim, but I won a Thomas Shabbat jersey kit. Oh, nice. Yeah. So that was, and you know, what's funny. I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, I won the kit. I don't have the jersey. <laughs> That's the main reason I bought the jersey. I mean, I knew eventually I was going to buy one, but, you know, I figured, you know, if I buy a Tim Stutzla, I would have to take it back three or four times because I was just like, how would do we exactly spell Stutzla's name? Fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, yeah I was probably going to buy the just one with Batherson's number right on it. It's a good one. unless it, Or else you want to buy an old Spezza jersey and just take the Spezza nameplate off. No, no, we're going to do it right. Speaking of doing it right, Tim... I think it's that time of the time of the show where we segue into this little segment I like to call Top of the Hour. Now it's kind of funny that we actually had Jamie McLennan on the show talking about Pablo Demetra because both of them were teammates in St. Louis. And to kick off Top of the Hour, we got to give a couple of shout outs because there were some NHLers that retired this week. 
And we're starting off with former St. Louis Blues defenseman Jay Bomeister announced his retirement at age 37. Bomeister, who was drafted third overall by the Florida Panthers in 2002, played 17 seasons in the NHL with three teams, the Florida Panthers, Calgary Flames, and St. Louis Blues, recording 88 goals, 386 assists for 424 points in 1,240 games, while being named to two All-Star games, representing Canada internationally in several occasions, and winning the Stanley Cup with the St. Louis Blues in 2019. This is, I guess, the sign of getting old when a player who you remember being drafted retires after playing 17, sorry, 17 seasons? Yep. Like, isn't that insane? It is, it's really insane. It is really insane. And I think about Jay Bomeister because... You know, when I look back on Bomeister's career, I kind of have mixed feelings towards him. For a guy who was drafted very high, I understand he was a defenseman, but you look at his career, even though he played a thousand games, even though he won a Stanley Cup, even though he represented Canada, I don't exactly think of a guy who had a Hall of Fame career. And I often think about his time with the Calgary Flames because I don't think during that period there was ever a guy, with the exception of maybe Ole Okunen, who was just railroaded at every turn by the Flames fans than Bomeister was. Well, what's weird about, I think what happened is Bomeister just didn't gel in Calgary. Because you look at the work he was doing in Florida and it was pretty good. Not great, but pretty good. Then all of a sudden it's just not good in Calgary and then it turns around and looks pretty respectable in St. Louis until he kind of trails out of his career. Kind of interesting, really. It is it like, is quite interesting, Tim. It is quite interesting. And I think about that 2002 draft because then Panthers GM Mike Keenan has often said if the Panthers had held on to that first pick, Bomeister would have gotten drafted first overall. Over Rick Nash, over any person from that draft, it would have been Jay okay, Bomeister. That's insane. And I think about how different Bomeister's career would have been if he had gone to Columbus or if he got drafted by Atlanta, who was second overall in the 2002 draft. I have to wonder, like, how different Bomeister's career would have looked if he went to either of those teams instead of Florida. It's hard to say because I think. He did have kind of that reputation as things weren't really going well in uh, Calgary as being Florida good. Him and uh, Ollie Jokinen and David Booth got that as well. Where they put up a bunch of points just because they were in the place to put up a bunch of points. But what's interesting is Jay Bowmeister was able to play first line minutes for most of his career. And he didn't look terrible outside of those years in Calgary. Moving on to our next story, Tim. Former Detroit Red Wings goalie Jimmy Howard announced his retirement after 14 NHL seasons. Howard, drafted 63rd overall by the Detroit Red Wings in 2003, played his entire NHL career with Detroit, recording 246 wins, 196 losses, and 70 overtime loss during his time with Detroit. Jimmy Howard and Corey Crawford are so similar in the way that people kind of think about them, right? Where they were these goalies that a lot of people never go to bat for them, but they had surprisingly good careers. I just think about Jimmy Howard 
To me, he couldn't have gone to a team and played in a worse situation than he was. Because, and not because he was a bad goaltender, not because the Red Wings were a bad team. Think about who was in net for Detroit prior to Jimmy Howard arriving. You Hasek had, and Osgood. You had Hasek, Osgood, Mike Vernon, Curtis Joseph. Like, you had these talented, talented goalies, which made Jimmy Howard just seem kind of there by comparison. And I think it's because Jimmy Howard he didn't have the most playoff success. And I think in Detroit, that's where you're mostly being viewed upon, especially when you think about it. And this is where Curtis Joseph really had a rough ride in Detroit because, yeah, well, he was also inconsistent, but also because he didn't have the playoff success to back up being paid all that money in Detroit. Whereas you had a guy like a Hasek, a Chris Osgood that won Stanley Cups in Detroit so you had the hardware, you had everything backing these guys up where Jimmy Howard does not have this. He doesn't have individual awards. He doesn't have Stanley... Well, he I think he has a Stanley Cup to his name because I think he was the backup in 08. Oh, no. I think Hasek was the backup. I think Hasek and Osgood were in 2008. I don't think Howard was with that team. But but still, I mean, Chris, Jimmy Howard, you know, decent enough goalie. I never thought he was great. I just thought he was a very serviceable starter. Wouldn't really get you anywhere. And that basically is how he summed up in Detroit as well. Yeah, like, he was good. Like, I'm not going to go to the back from as hard as I usually do for Corey Crawford. But Jimmy Howard is, he wasn't a bad goaltender. He was a good enough starter. And I think these last few years make him look worse than he actually was. Well, especially last year where... What did he go? I think two twenty-two and something, and he had like, what like a four, almost like a four goals against average. Yeah, like even though last year's Detroit team was bad, Jimmy Howard's last season wasn't helping things. So we got one more retirement to talk about. Former Boston Bruins defenseman Adam McQuaid announced his retirement after ten NHL seasons. McQuaid, who was drafted 55th overall by the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2005, spent nine seasons with the Bruins before being traded to the New York Rangers in 2018 and later was traded again to the Columbus Blue Jackets in 2019, recording 16 goals, 57 assists for 73 points in 512 games. I think my main thought when I hear Adam McQuaid's name is the amount of hate my cousin Thomas had for him. My cousin Thomas, who's a big Bruins fan, shout out to him. I have never seen somebody who's hated a hockey player as much as my cousin hated Adam McQuaid. Adam McQuaid, not the greatest defenseman, but it's surprising that he's the guy who's catching the ire, you know? Well, and it's funny, and I think when I look back, because my cousin really liked Johnny Boychuk, and when he got traded to the Islanders, like, yeah, he was upset, but he says, man, you know... Johnny Boyzik gets traded. Now I'm fucking McQuaid still here. <laughs> Actually, it's really funny talking about Adam McQuaid because I, I think it was in 2019 when he was with the Blue Jackets when they went on that playoff run and we talked about him. My cousin heard the episode and we when we mentioned, or I'm sorry, I mentioned that he hated Adam McQuaid, he responded being like, well, you're not wrong. Amazing. I now have a really big question. Who's even on defense in Boston anymore? Because Krug's gone, Chara. Chara's gone, McQuaid's gone. Ooh, you know who's still there? 
is uh, McAvoy. McAvoy, who, funny enough, hated the Bruins when before he got drafted there. I'm sure you learned to learn love the people who pay you millions of dollars a year, Tay. It's true, but I'm sure you saw that that infamous tweet before he got drafted of oh, him just saying, the fuck the Bruins? I hate the Bruins, and he got drafted by them like a year later. Amazing. So good, so good. So we got to also give a couple of more shout-outs. Toronto Maple Leafs forward, Jason Spezza. Yes, I know, I will never, ever get used to saying that. Became the 92nd player in NHL history to record 600 assists versus the Montreal Canadiens. Spezza, who is entering his second season with the Leafs, recorded 9 goals, 16 assists for 25 points in 58 games for Toronto last season. That's cool. It is cool. You know what's not cool? Is threatening to retire if you got claimed off waivers. Yeah. Come on, Jason. Uh, like, we would have welcomed you back home. We'll even get rid of Cedric back in for you. We're not pleading our case well here, Ted. Not yet. Not yet. But no, let, actually, let's talk about Spez a little bit. Because I think of Jason Spez, uh, I'm sorry, I will never get used to him playing for the Leafs. But also, when people talk about Spez uh, reaching 600 assists... A lot of those did come for the Ottawa Senators. That's true. And in fact, I was like, he wasn't there already. Well, and you got to think about it because he didn't exactly put up big time numbers in Dallas. Mike Babcock screwed him royally in Toronto last year. So really, I mean, yeah, I'm also kind of surprised he didn't reach 600 assists. But you know, it's still cool for somebody who's as big of a part of the Ottawa Center success in the mid 2000s it's still great to see him reach that milestone oh yeah we wish him the best for the rest of his career absolutely and a quick shout out because he was involved with the success of the 2000 Senators we got a quick shout out to John Muckler who passed away a couple weeks ago yeah and I think Muckler is probably the more underrated Ottawa Senators GM because he did build that Senators team that won the President's Trophies and went to the Cup, I think, and I think we were talking about this earlier, one of the reasons he does get underrated is he did kind of empty the cupboard. He did. He did, but I also think that Muckler's time in Ottawa gets kind of underrated because he came in right as the team was hitting its stride. Because he came in in 2002, so basically he had a team full of stars. Like, he had the rag bonks. Hosa was there, Spezza was already drafted, Alfredson was there, Redden was there. So basically, he just had to maintain that team. Now, obviously, he made some big acquisitions. Like, he went out and got Dominic Hasek. He made the the very ballsy trade. A lot of people forget how ballsy it was to bring in Danny Heatley. Hey, it worked. It worked, and big time. So, yeah, Muckler, we definitely got to give him a shout-out. Because, you know what? I think in the history of the Senators, his name doesn't get mentioned nearly enough. Exactly. Los Angeles Kings forward Dustin Brown recorded his 300th career goal versus the Minnesota Wild. Brown, who is in his 17th season with the Kings, recorded 17 goals, 18 assists for 35 points in 66 games for Los Angeles last season. Good for him, man. Like, honestly, I would have never met. I'm not that surprised he hasn't hit 300 goals yet. But I think the big thing I take away from this, he's in his 17th season? Yeah. I always think Dustin Brown's a younger player. Yeah. Well, actually, let's talk a little bit about Dustin Brown, because I know that, like, you and I aren't L.A. King fans by any measure, but 
Justin Brown is probably the one guy who, when you talk about the success of the LA Kings in the 2010s, Dustin Brown's name should be one of the first names being brought up because he was drafted when the team was not good. And he was there when he was... In the year he got drafted, the Kings had three first-round picks. <laughs> Dustin Brown was the only one to play on the 2012 Kings team. That's actually kind of impressive. And, yeah, it's, it's awesome he stayed around and uh, made, made uh, quite the career there. Uh, I'll have to talk to one of my buddies... Uh, who's a big LA Kings guy uh, and get his thoughts on it. Yeah, definitely, man. Definitely reach out to your buddy, ask him about Dustin Brown. So next week we can talk a little bit about him. Yeah. The one takeaway I did take from away from Dustin Brown, it was that, well, two things. Number one, he was definitely a guy in the Western conference guys hated playing against because he was such a pain in the ass to play against. But also, the other takeaway I take away from it, and I know that you read Sean Avery's autobiography, he talked about playing with Dustin Brown in L.A. And, like, I don't mind Sean Avery, the hockey player. Sean Avery, the person, can be such a fucking asshole. And when you hear about how Sean Avery treated Dustin Brown when he was a rookie, you just think, like, wow, that's that's really a dick move, Sean. Yeah. So, Tim, we got to talk about something that I know for us Ottawa Senators fans is going to hurt. More so than J- Jason Spezza playing for the Leafs. The Vegas Golden Knights have named Mark Stone the first captain in franchise history. Stone, who was traded to the Vegas Golden Knights in 2019, recorded 21 goals, 42 assists for 63 points in 65 games for, La- for Las Vegas last season. You know, the term... We didn't know what we had until he was gone. Applies to Mark Stone. I don't think But does. also, he's also the one guy. He's obviously the one that got away. Because if he had stayed, forget about people thinking Thomas Shabbat should be captain or Brady Tachuk should be captain. Mark Stone would have been captain in Ottawa if he had stayed. Well, that's the thing. Like I, I don't think Mark Stone is a case if we didn't know what we had when we had him. We everyone knew he was overall great guy and top five winger in the league. Well, sorry, when I'm like when I'm referring to that, I I think I'm thinking more about myself because for myself, when he got traded to Vegas, I didn't have the emotional investment in Stone that I had with Carlson when he got traded. Because for myself, I knew Stone was a good player. By the time that final season came around and I really, really came to fully appreciate Mark Stone, I knew that he wasn't coming back, and I knew that there's no point really getting invested. It wasn't until he went to Vegas, he has all the success, then he comes back to Ottawa, and we said it's on the show. When they played the Golden Knights in Ottawa, in the first 10 seconds of the game where Stone grabbed the puck and went around the defense of it, I, I said to you, how many times did we see that in Ottawa? Yeah, no kidding. So, I, I honestly, I'm not even shocked Stone's the captain. Looking at that Vegas team, who else would you have picked? Think about it. Like, would you have gone with Pacioretty? No. Would you have gone with Petrangelo? Well, he's new He's new there, so that's a no. I might have gone with, like, Stone, William Carlson or something. Stone like, that's the only one is the I only guy. think of is one of the original guys. True, but you know what? I think the Golden Knights are thinking long-term with this. 
Yeah. Because honestly, they gave him the contract extension, they gave him the money, and now they gave him the captaincy. Oh, for sure. And uh, honestly, he couldn't have gone to a better guy. So we actually got another captaincy to talk about. The Detroit Red Wings have named Dylan Larkin the 37th captain in franchise history. Larkin, a native of the state of Michigan, is succeeding previous captain Henrik Zetterberg, whom's, whom career ended in 2018. They've been hyping up Dylan Larkin for a while, so this is not surprising in the least. He's Michigan born and raised, very like a very solid but very flashy good young player. So I'm not surprised that this is Dylan Larkin's team. I'm not even no, and again, like with Mark Stone, I'm the I'm not the least bit shocked Dylan Larkin was named captain in Detroit. A because he is from Michigan. B because he's probably their best player. But See, when you look at the captains that have played for the Red Wings, do you want to guess how many captains since the 1980s they've, the Red Wings have had? Two. Three. Stevie Y, Nick Lidstrom, and Zetterberg. Right, since I forgot that Stevie Y played until like... 2006. 2006. I was about to say from the Paleocene era, but... Yeah, he was there. I think he named captain in 1986, I want to say. 85? In the mid-80s. He was captain of a team for 20 years. Yep. He was just like, like just like Joe Sackick. Sackick was the captain in Colorado for all those years. Yeah, fair enough. And Alfredson was the captain for a while, too. Yep. And Sundin in Toronto. But we don't talk about that. No, no. So we actually do got to talk about something. Now, it's actually very fitting we're talking about this today, given that in the United States, it's Martin Luther King Day. And it's also very fitting because the Boston Bruins are honoring this player with a patch on their helmets. The Boston Bruins have announced they will retire Willie O'Ree's number 22 on February 18th against the New Jersey Devils. O'Ree, whom played for the Bruins from 1957 until 1961, recorded four goals, 10 assists for 14 points in 45 games. He is best remembered for breaking the color barrier in hockey, becoming the first black person to play in the NHL. For his role in breaking the color barrier, O'Ree was given the Order of Canada in 2006, as well as an introduction into the Hockey Hall of Fame in 2018, and an induction into the Canadian Sports Hall of Fame in 2020. Now, I, before we talk about it, I understand that I did say he became the first black person to play in the NHL. That's not anything me being... Any racial stuff, that's just the way that it was worded on Wikipedia when I was looking this up. So, there. I just, I had to make that clear. So, yeah, yeah. talking about Willie O'Ree, and I think about when you talk about athletes who have tr- almost transcended the sports in terms of their importance to the game. And, obviously, Jackie Robinson's a big one for the African-Americans in baseball. If you're French-Canadian, the Rocket in Montreal for the Habs was a big one. Willie O'Ree for, for the colored people of Canada really was that person in hockey. And it's kind of interesting because like, I don't think there was that big of a focus in white communities as there must've been in Canadian communities of color, right? No, no, I think, I I think like the first player of color that really got really media big that I can remember is Jerome Aginla and yeah it's awesome that we Willie O'Ree was able to pave the way for so many great athletes 
And that's just in our lifetime, right? That Jerome McGinley has become such a big superstar player in the way that, say, guys like Grant Fear was of in the 1980s and Robin Bawa was that way for uh, for East Indian players. Actually, funny enough, from Duncan. So there you go. And nice. Jordan Tutu. I guess Jordan Tutu, in a way, if you want to consider him for um, First Nations in the NHL. Because, honestly, if, if a guy like Jordan Tutu would have not made the NHL, you could probably see... Ethan Bear for the Edmonton Oilers, who's also First or Nation. Jonathan Chichu, man. Jonathan Chichu. There's another guy. You know, you, you see these players, and you, you, I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but I tend to maybe I, maybe I don't think about it as much until these players end up making the leagues, where I don't think about that kind of significance. Where it's like, wow, Jerome McGinley is the first color player to score 50 goals, or Grant Fear was one of the first guys to win the Stanley Cup. You know, I don't think about stuff like that until it happens. And it's such a cool, cool thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's awesome that Boston's able to celebrate that. And, you know, it's kind of weird, and it's not in any way a shot at Willie O'Ree, because you think of Boston's reputation as being quite a racist city, especially when you hear about Bill Russell, who played for the Boston Celtics, and for years he wanted nothing to do with the city, just because of those kind of problems that they had in Boston. But... It is very nice to see a team like the Bruins will honor somebody who broke that color barrier in the NHL. Mm, for sure. So, you know, if I can quote the Simpsons here, Tim, I, I can't remember what episode it was. If you recall when Mr. Burns went broke and Kent Brotman's like, you know, in a story of it's funny when it doesn't happen to you. I, I know it's not really haha funny, but it's kind of funny when you think about talking about our next story. San Jose Sharks forward Evander Kane has filed for Chapter 7 bankruptcy. Kane, who signed a seven-year, $49 million contract with San Jose in 2018, has, has a listed debt of $26.8 million and six active lawsuits filed against him. Yeah, I guess this is a fairly different situation than when Jack Johnson had his money taken from him by his parents. I wonder what the heck those lawsuits are. Uh, a lot of... Well, remember there was the, the sexual harassment one... There was banks suing him for bank loans. There was that casino that was suing him for like $500,000 or whatever. What is it with NHL-associated people and owing debts to casinos? I don't know. I don't know. But you know what? When you talk about Evander Kane and the Evander, this, this whole thing with Evander Kane, like it's, it's such an isolated incident because the NHL is not known to have players that go bankrupt. And I know that ESPN years ago, they did an article where they talked about, I think it was like 80-something percent of NFL players, they go bankrupt after their career, and the NBA had a certain amount of percentage. Hockey doesn't seem to have it to the point where it's so minimal that they don't even track it. So it is kind of rare when you see a player who is still active, like when Jack Johnson happened to him. It's so rare to see an active player file for bankruptcy like Evander Kane is. Well, what's hard is there are strategic reasons to file for bankruptcy, especially if you can discharge the debt. It is difficult to tell, although that's definitely more a business thing than a personal finance thing. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely harder to tell. So, Tim, we're going to turn our attention away from Evander Kane to a good friend of yours, Mr. Mike Milbury, because... 
NBC Sports have announced that Mike Milbury will not be returning as part of the NHL and NBC panel. Milbury, who joined NBC in, 20, in 2007, will be replaced by former Toronto Maple Leafs head coach Mike Babcock. You know, it's still an upgrade. Babcock? Really? To, to me, Mike Milbury is an absolute freaking moron. Milbury, we're going from a zero to a one. Isn't it? If that, sort of if if you want to consider Babcock a one, yeah. Milbury to me, like, and I I don't watch the NHL and NBC very often, but the times that I ever I have watched Milbury in there, to me, he just seems like he's trying so hard to be Don Cherry. If that makes sense, to me, that's exactly what it, it almost seems like he's trying to be great of being very outspoken, very out of touch with the times. Like just, controversial. Controversial, exactly. And the problem is, is that the difference between Grapes and Milbury is that there's people who actually like Don Cherry. And whether you agree with Don's politics, whether you agree with some of his views on hockey, when Don Cherry makes a point that's valid... It's really valid. Milbury does not have that. I think maybe there's like one time that Milbury made a very valid point on Twitter and everyone's just like, oh my God, are we now agreeing with Mike Milbury? Well, I think the hard thing is even with the plethora of experience that Mike Milbury has, just the amount of crazy stuff he does and just a lot of his attempts to be controversial just wind up nonsensical. So it's like... I'm surprised he managed to last as long as he did on the network because I don't imagine his attempts at controversy really brought ratings. And generally, I would... If Mike Milbury was on a panel, I'd watch a different channel. Exactly. And, and it's very different in the States than it is up here where, like, say if you watch a hockey broadcast up here, say it's either on TSN or Sportsnet or, in or I guess, CBC also in that way where you have an option of what you want to watch. And obviously I'm more suited towards TSN because TSN's panel of James Duthie and Bob McKenzie are fantastic. Sportsnet to me is kind of hit and miss. Like I, I do like Ron McLean as a host. He's very comforting. I love Kevin BX. I think he's fantastic. And I think he's perfect for Sportsnet. And I like Elliot. Elliot Friedman's really good. He's very, very smart, and I think he makes very valid points. And Cassie Campbell's really good. Too. Cassie's got. I'm trying to think of the other guy. He's kind of that nerdy little guy. Uh, oh shoot! It's. I think Sportsnet's gotten a lot better lately. They have. Oh, God, like this PJ is... Stock's gone. Uh, oh, who would? Button's good. Oh, was it Button? The guy I really didn't like is gone. Was it Berkey? No, it wasn't Berkey. And Berkey doesn't come out enough to for to really get up and grind my gears. True. And like Burke's interesting because like I'd say about half the time he makes a reasonable point, the other half he's out in John Cherry's orbit. Yeah, I'm just trying to think who would that be? Wouldn't it have been um not Kiprios, not um I wasn't a fan of Kipper either, to be honest. Doug McLean. Would have been Doug McLean? No, I don't think it was Doug McLean. Oh. Uh, oh, Cam Neely. Neely was never on Sportsnet. Neely no, he wasn't. No, was you're. Where's Neely? Neely always worked for. Uh, no, he never. He never worked as an analyst. Right. 
It's Milbury, I think you're thinking of. That's the guy yeah. that you're getting correct. Um, yeah. Honestly, you know, when I think of Mike Milbury, I'm I would be like to, I'd be interested to see why NBC let him go because obviously a couple of years ago, and it's hard to believe it's such a long time ago, they fired Jeremy Roenick for his comments he made on Spit and Chicklets, and I would be interested to see if Mike Milbury either said something or just got to the point where NBC Sports is just like, you know what? Nah, we're done with you. Get out. Yeah, well, I guess, like, I think social media has intensified over the last year or so, especially when you're going back through social media history. Mm -hmm. The Arizona Coyotes have named Shane Doan as the team's chief hockey development officer. Doan's role will see him support Arizona's business and hockey operation departments, as well as advise on major club decisions and initiatives. I don't really know what to say about this because I'm not exactly maybe it's just me. I'm not exactly sure what his roles would be. Is it going to be to say, yes, this is a good idea. That's a terrible idea. Maybe we don't do this. Maybe we don't do that. Like, what do you, I, I don't know. Like, what do you think about this, Tim? Like, I just look at this and I'm like, well, it reminds me of the Alfie role. True. I just look at Shane Doan's role and be like, oh, so the Coyotes gave him a job. He's going to be there. Well, they could be trying to protege him into the GMC. It could be, but I don't know if a donor would want to go into that, though, to be perfectly yeah. honest. But then again, I, I said the same about Sackick years ago, and look at him now. Exactly. So uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he's shadowing for an AGM or GM job. That is true. I guess with the... You know, you look at the roles that former captains of these teams are going. Like with Steve Eisenman in Detroit, you see Sackick in Colorado. You know, you look around the NHL, you're definitely seeing former star players getting into those kind of roles. So, yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if the Coyotes have decided that, you know what, hey, let's let's make Shane Doan our new GM. Because think yeah. about it, like other than John Chuckna, who built the Coyotes into a really good team until it all fell apart on him. And then ran off to private equity. Yeah, but I, you know what? I think the Coyotes' off-ice problems was stemmed more than just him. You know, because he had the, their draft pick from the previous draft whose pick got forfeited because he was charged for assaulting a disabled colored student when he was in high school. And you look yeah, at some of their weird. ownership problems, it's just like, man, like, the Coyotes, they can't catch a break. Yeah, no. Yeah. Actually, you know what? I, I, I know you're not a fan of Bizonet, but I often wonder how come the Coyotes... I know I know he's one of the radio guys, but how come he's not one in there, like a public face for the Arizona Coyotes? Because he has such a big personality. He has a big following through spitting chicklets and social media that I'm kind of surprised the Coyotes don't go to him and be like, hey, you know what? We're trying to get fans in the build. Well, maybe not so much now with COVID and everything, but... When fans when they're trying to get fans in the building, I'm surprised they didn't get him to be like, "Hey, you know, maybe just do some ads, do some stuff for us, try and get the fans in the building." Because he was very popular in Arizona. Maybe he didn't want to. Which is weird because, and I know you don't listen to the podcast, but he's always pumping the Coyotes. He's always pumping like, "Yeah, these players are great and everything." <clears throat> you know, come to our games or whatever. So you never know, right? I mean, obviously he's still very close to the Coyotes, and he's very close to Shane Doan, who was just on the podcast. So, you never know. 
Now, we're going to move away from the Arizona Coyotes and talk about a three-time Stanley Cup champion in the Chicago Blackhawks because they have re-signed head coach Jeremy Coltian to a two-year contract extension. Coltian was hired by Chicago in November 2018, replacing three-time Stanley Cup champion Joel Quenville. He has a regular season record of 62, 58, and 17 with a 4-5-0 record in the playoffs. The fact that they even got that close is kind of impressive. Now, I, I don't, you know, here's the thing, I don't have anything really to say about this one, except I don't know if I pronounced his name correctly. <laughs> uh, Colt, Colton? Coltion? I'm not even sure how do you... I think that's close. Yeah. But, um, I don't know, maybe it's because I don't follow Chicago very closely that I just, I don't really have an opinion about it. It's like, obviously anybody who's going to replace a three-time Stanley Cup champion has such an uphill battle. Because you will always be compared to the guy you replaced. Oh, 100% for sure. St. Louis Blues forward Semi Blas has been suspended two games for an illegal check on Colorado Avalanche defenseman Devon Taves. Blas is not a repeat offender. You know, NHL hockey is back when you have a suspension on the first day. Now, here's the thing, Tim. Like, I didn't see the hit. I don't, I'm not sure if you saw it, but... So, because I didn't get a chance to see the hit, I don't really have any opinion on it. But I will say I did forget that Devon Taves is now a Colorado Avalanche. Yeah, a lot of players moved. And the fact that the offseason was almost six months, like, sorry, almost four months ago, it's easy to forget who moved where, right? True. I mean, think about it, because Brandon Sod is with the Avalanche now. And Devon Taves is with the Avalanche now. The Avs, oh my god. If they don't win a Stanley Cup the next couple of years, I, I don't know, man. Like, they're just uh, that good. basically be like the lightning for the first nine years of the decade. So are you saying that they're going to get swept in three games by an inferior franchise? We hope not. Yeah. Sticking with the St. Louis Blues, the St. Louis Blues have signed Mike Hoffman to a one-year, $4 million contract. Hoffman recorded 29 goals, 30 assists for 59 points in 69 games for Florida last season. Look, I, I don't know if you really want to dig up old memories here about Mike Hoffman. And I think we've talked about this in the past about Hoffman not being able to stick with teams despite the talent. So I don't know. Like, I don't know where you want to go with this one, Tim, because honestly, I don't know if there's anything more we can really add about Hoffman Again. I was surprised how long he stuck out in free agency there and then signed a PTO. Well, there was talks that he was going to go to the KHL. And it looked like he was going to go there. Like, the KHL reportedly threw a lot of money for him to come over. But, you know, when talking about Mike Hoffman, I, again, I mean, you're talking about a guy who... It's amazing he's not been able to stick with teams because he's very talented. The talent is there. It's... What he brings in the locker room is what teams don't want. Well, I think the other thing, uh, watching Hoffman's career, is he does kind of remind me of Danny Heatley. He does have a spot that he likes to shoot from, and he's really good at shooting from that spot. True, but we saw even in Ottawa, like, he is, yeah, he definitely has his spot, his favorite spot, but Hoffman's also a guy who. Again, as we've said, he left you always wanting a little bit more production-wise. Because in, in his first year in Florida, like, he put up career numbers there. 
And we were sitting here thinking, like, why couldn't he do that here? But, I don't know. I, I got nothing really more to, to add about Mike Hoffman because I think we've pretty much exhausted everything that we could ever say about him on the podcast. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Minnesota Wild have re-signed Marcus Foligno to a three-year, $9.3 million contract with an AAV 3.1. Foligno recorded 11 goals, 14 assists for 25 points in 59 games for Minnesota last season. Is it me, or is this contract just a little too rich for me? Because you're talking about a guy who's on Minnesota's third line, and you're paying him $3 million. Yeah, and I remember uh, Marcus Foligno being a bit of a reclamation project even at the time. Not the worst trade that was made by the one-year GM, but uh, yeah, I remember this split for, I believe it was Scandella. And I think it actually worked out pretty well, but yeah, $3 million might be a bit rich. 3.1, 3.1, yeah, and then and Minnesota is not exactly swimming in cap space right now because, again... Tom Kopp, Yeah, well, him and Ryan Suter, too, right? But and it's a shame because Minnesota is one of those teams that you talk about... You're, you always talk about that one franchise that's so forgettable in the NHL that when you try and name NHL teams, they're never, they're never the first team you mentioned. They're always like... You can mention this team, this team, this team, this team, and then you eventually get to them. They're kind of like the Jacksonville... I don't want to say like the Jacksonville Jaguars because the Jaguars are just a steaming pile of fucking dumpster fire right now, but Minnesota is just kind of that team. They've just been outside of 2003 when they went on that deep Cinderella playoff run. The Wild have been very forgettable. They're just kind of there. And what's interesting, though, is like, they turned some heads this week, especially with the Kirill Kaprizov split. Oh my god! Okay, did you see that overtime goal versus LA? Oh yeah, that was fucking nuts. Oh, that was beautiful. Good for excuse me. Good for him. Yeah, so it's uh, it's a team that I think it's been kind of weird because they they remind me of the Nashville Predators of like the late two thousands that always made it to the dance but never went anywhere. Yeah, they would get to the playoffs, maybe win a playoff game or two, or maybe even a series. But then teams that were way better than them would just smoke them. Yeah. But, uh, and it's funny because, like, I, re- I remember when they picked up both Parise and Suter. Like, I thought, oh, they're ready. They're ready for bear- war now. Let's go. But uh, there was a lot of trades, and I, and just kind of trying to tread water with those contracts was hard. But, uh, I still think the worst thing they did was trading Nito Niederreiter for Victor Rask. Yeah, as we talked about here on the program too, right? <laughs> but then again, Niederreiter's career was kind of floundering a little bit there in Minnesota. It seemed like you didn't really know where, what his ceiling was in Minnesota until he went to Carolina. That's fair, that's fair. The New Jersey Devils have re-signed Jesper Bratt to a two-year, $5.5 million contract with an AAV 2.75. Bratt recorded 16 goals, 16 assists for 32 points, and 60 games for New Jersey last season. I'm actually not going to lie. Even though I talked about Marcus Foligno's contract being a little too rich, I don't mind this. Because, again, Bratt's in his second year with the Devils. He came close to hitting 20 goals. If he can continue on, this could be a really good contract for New Jersey. Yeah, I think this one's worth taking the risk. Well, Marcus Bellino, you kind of know what you got. 
Yeah, where Jesper Bratt, I mean, he's a guy, he's still, I think he's 23, 24. He's still pretty young, so we don't exactly know what his ceiling is. So, yeah, I mean, if, if he can hit 20 goals this coming season with New Jersey, good for him. Like, if he can hit that, then I think this would be a great pickup for the Devils. The Vancouver Canucks have signed Travis Hamanek to a one-year, $1.25 million contract. Hamanek recorded three goals, nine assists for 12 points in 50 games for Calgary last season. You know, is it kind of funny, eh, Tim? Like, a couple of years ago, when the Islanders and the Flames made that trade for Travis Hamanek, the buzz that created in the hockey world, because Travis Hamanek was seen as one of the better right-shot defensemen who was a defensive star world in the island... He goes to Calgary, and his career just kind of falls apart almost. Yeah, well, it was interesting because like he had a bit of a hiccup around 2015 where all of a sudden he was a bit more of a sieve than usual, and then just there was one good season in Calgary, and then the wheels fell off the bus. Yeah, and, and Hamannick was a guy, and I, I can't remember what season it was. I think it was season two. And I talked about Calgary had the best defense west of Nashville. Three years later, I'm almost eating my words at this point. Because Hamannick's not there anymore. TJ Brody's not there anymore. Dougie Hamilton's gone. Dougie Hamilton's not gone. Well, and I think we walked past the reason why that was, Tim. You know, (laughs) Moxies. The Moxies. I'll never get old. I'm sorry. So good. It's not a good restaurant. No. Moxie, and it's funny because I was doing hotel deliveries at work for the, the kids in quarantine. And me and my coworker were talking about this. And he says, you know, like he hate doesn't like Original Joe's, Brown Social House, any of these like faux classy places. Because they're all the same. Oh, yeah. And it's cheap shit. Exactly. And that's why we went to whatever we went to on... Uh, God, I can't remember that what, that pub that we went to in Victoria a few years ago. Oh, uh, Yates Street. Yates Street, yes. Very, very good pub. So, Tim, I we got some... still around. Still around, man. Still around. Good, good. So, we actually got three New York Islanders signings to talk about. And we're going to start off with the New York Islanders have signed Matt Martin to a four-year, $6.6 million contract with an AAV 1.5. Martin recorded five goals, three assists for eight points in 55 games for the Islanders last season. Talk about Lou Lamorello's pad, eh? Like, yeah, four years? Really? Why would, good. Why would you sign him for four years? <coughs> Two years, I can see, maybe, but four? I mean, I, I guess <sighs> if you have to dump him after a year or two, you know, that 1.5 is not going to kill you, but... But here's the thing, and I'm looking at our signings right now for the Islanders. They're all former Lamorello fucking players. They either, Is Komarov on there too? No, he's not on there. He, no, they either played for him in Jersey, Toronto, or on the island. Oh, Jesus. Yeah. I think we should move on to our next story because I'm going to start laughing if I'm talking about Matt Martin anymore. The New York Islanders have also signed Andy Green to a one-year $700,000 contract. Green recorded three assists in 10 games for the Islanders last season. After he was traded to the Island from the New Jersey Devils, too. Is Andy Green even still alive? I didn't realize Andy Green was still playing. I thought, Andy Green is still playing? Dude, it's like 40. 
What are you doing, Lou? And here I am, like, praising him, and I'm just like, why? What does he bring? Well, I mean, if they go on another deep playoff run, uh, we'll have to eat our hats. That's true. And also, well, at least he'll have a former starting goaltender to help him with, because the New York Islanders have also signed Corey Schneider to a one-year, $700,000 contract. Schneider recorded a 3.62 record with a 3.53 goals against average and a .887 save percent same percentage for the Islanders, or sorry, for the New York New Jersey Devils last season. Yes, for the taxi squad? Maybe, if that... Now, here's the thing. Schneider, I can kind of see, because you've got to think about later day Lamorello in Jersey. That's what he will be remembered for. Outside of the Kovachuk trade, it will be landing Corey Schneider for Bo Horvat. And it's funny because when you go back and you look at Schneider's numbers in Jersey, I often think, was it because he played on bad Devils teams or was it because he was just not a great goalie in New Jersey? Because he didn't put up great numbers in in Jersey. Yeah, no. And I think, I think it was more just that those Jersey teams were on the downswing. That's true. So that really didn't help. Yeah, because they lost Kolvachuk. They lost Parise. They didn't have anybody coming up. But the early years for Schneider were really... The early New Jersey years for Schneider were really good. And then I think it, I think he had like a back injury or a concussion. I don't remember what. I think it was... It just wasn't the same after. I think it was a hip injury, wasn't it? Right, hip injury. And he just wasn't the same. Yeah, and it's a shame because like my cousin's a diehard Devils fan. And him and I always talked about Schneider. And I remember years ago before they landed him and he and I were emailing back and forth and we were talking about this and he says there was two guys that he wanted Jersey to go after. One was Corey Schneider and it's going to seem laughable today was Jonathan Bernier. Right. And remember when the Leafs got him? Yeah. Remember when he completely fell apart and actually Steve Dangle, I think on this uh, Steve Dangle podcast talked about this. He says his main image of Jonathan Bernier is when they did you know, the real hockey wives kind of reality show and Jonathan Bernier's wife was on there and you see Bernier on there and he just looks so dead in the eyes. He's just like, just like fucking my life. Jesus Christ. Yeah. The Winnipeg Jets have signed Trevor Lewis to a one-year $750,000 contract. Lewis recorded six goals, six assists for 12 points in 58 ga- 56 games for LA last season. So, Texas. For a fourth line capacity? Not a terrible pick. Or, it's not going to kill you. Or, or Taxi Squad. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's all right. I mean, it's an all right pickup for them, but, you know. So, Tim, even after these 310 days of sense podcasting that we have missed, we're going to close out top of the hour by talking about some Ottawa Senators-related stories. Now, obviously... When talking about the Washington Capitals, we knew about Henrik Lundqvist, unfortunately. It looks like his career has come to an end with his heart problem. The Washington Capitals have signed Craig Anderson to a one-year, $700,000 contract. Anderson recorded 11-17-2 record last season with a 3.25 goals against and a .902 save percentage for the Senators. I'm not sure if he's going to get some play time, but I hope he does. I don't think so. I think he's going to be a taxi squad guy. And you know what? To me, this couldn't have happened to a better guy. Because Craig Anderson, as I've said, he was always kind of like 
if you even want to use it in wrestling terminology, he was always kind of like Bret Hart. He was always a guy who was a top guy in a company that the company didn't see him as the top guy. And that's how I always felt that Craig Anderson was viewed in Ottawa, is that, yes, he was the starting goalie for so many years. I don't know if the team fully saw him as their starter. Because when you saw when Robin Leonard came in, when Ben Bishop came in, and when they brought in these other goaltenders, and Anderson remained the starter. Yeah. And he had a fantastic career of the sense. So, yeah, I wish him all the best in Washington. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. I'll, I'll be happy for him. If he gets some playing time this year in Washington, I'll definitely be supporting him for sure. Oh, yeah. The Ottawa Senators have traded defenseman Max Lechois. Oh, sorry, let me say that again. Max Lechois to the Carolina Hurricanes for Ford Clark Bishop. Lechois recorded four goals, 13 assists for 70 points in 48 games for the American Hockey League's Belleville Senators, while Bishop recorded six goals, 13 assists for 19 points in 53 games for the AHL's Charlotte Checkers. Let's talk- was a guy who fell right down the depth chart. Like, he looked good at the early, like in his first few games, then looked out of sorts after that and just kept sliding. Lejoie is such an interesting guy in Ottawa because I remember... He was somebody that you were kind of high on. I remember he kind of like Christian Willanen. Like you were kind of high on Lejoie as I was early on. And he had, I can't, I think he had a hernia injury. I can't recall what injury he had. And then it all fell apart for him. Yeah, because it's sad because Lejoie was another guy. Uh, and Chris Weidman is the same way too. Is they had these nice offensive tools. They could move the puck well. And then the injury and just weren't the same after. Fall down the death chart and wait, and then they're out. It's such a shame because Lejoie was a decent defenseman with the Senators. Like he was that puck moving defenseman that the team had a lot of. Like we had it with Lillan and we had it with him. We had it with Shabbat. And to me, I think of him kind of the way I think of Freddie Clayson. Now hear me out on this one because you think of Freddie Clayson's time in Ottawa where he was definitely a player that the fans were very high on. He did produce like he produced well enough to weather a team a spot on the franchise and then he fell completely off the depth chart to the part part to the point where he's not even with the centers anymore i think he turned up in uh well i think he turned up in new jersey so yeah i think he's with like i think he's with like the island or something right now but i actually thought about putting clayson on top of the hour just because of that but i'm thinking Okay, he's going to be an AHL pickup at best. So really, I don't know if he was worth including, but I think of him kind of like when I think of Max Lejoie, is that, <coughs> excuse me, he was a, <coughs> fuck me. <coughs> excuse me. This is why we want to win any awards, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> is because I think of Lejoie, like I said, he, I think of him the way I think of Freddie Clayson, is that decent defenseman, the fans were high on him, didn't ultimately pan out. If all fan predictions came true, We'd have Mike Pump, Mark Pample, and Shane Prince as first line wingers, and also we would have Robin Leonard as our all time franchise goalie. <laughs> Although to be fair with Leonard, he did end up putting it all together. It's true. So you know, I'm happy for him. Mm. No hard feelings. Yo, let's talk about some games. We do got to talk about some games now. I guess this wraps up top of the hour for this week's, which means one thing, Tim. We got to talk about the games. Then we got two games on the schedule: uh, back-to-back matchups versus 
the Toronto Maple Leafs. But before we do that, Tim, it's been a long time since I've got you to do this, and I'm glad that we can do it right now. Tim, if you're ready to see me transition into these games we're going to talk about tonight, give me a hell yeah. Hell yeah. All right, Tim, let's start talking about the Leafs versus the Senators. This is a 5-3 Senators victory. Leaf goals are scored by Zach Hyman, Alex Kerfoot, and John Tavares. Sens goals are scored by... Hold on a sec. Let's go ahead and move back to this one. <laughs> Hot Sambacho! Brady Tuchuk, Austin Watson, Chris Tierney, and Derek Stefan. Shots were 24-23 for Ottawa. Ottawa outplayed Toronto throughout this game. Toronto's offense came out flying to start the game, getting a number of scoring chances. However, as the games went on, their offense fell flat as Ottawa started off throwing the body around and playing with energy, which they sustained throughout the game as their offense got going, potting three goals in the second period to give them the lead and later the victory. Now, I know we Yeah, so the thing I want to talk about first here is the, the young players all look freaking fantastic. Now, when talking about the young players, Tim, there is one young player we got to talk about right out of the gate. The third overall pick, Tim Stutzla. His first NHL game, one shot. And the one thing I noticed about Stutzla in this game is that the Leafs really zeroed in on him the second he hit the ice. And it didn't really matter, though, because, sure, he had one shot and uh, no points, but they couldn't really contain him he played the puck hard and he was making these brilliant seeing eye plays and we'll talk about that more in the second game that he was a very strong skater very nice passing very crisp knew where to be and where to find people and it was a beautiful thing to watch frankly his work from his very brilliant world juniors was perfectly translated to the nhl which is ludicrous it is very ludicrous and i think the one thing about stutzla is the thing is tim like when you watch these players in the world juniors there's always the argument of yeah they look great in this tournament but how can they do against men stutzla is one of those guys that whenever i saw him play with germany in the world juniors i literally said i am so ready for him to join the nhl like and even uh i think it was ray ferraro said on Spittin' Chicklets when they asked him about Tim Stutzla, he says, you know what? There's not a player who is more NHL ready than Stutzla. And the one thing I will say about Stutzla, and I don't I, I don't have the stats in front of me. I don't know if you mind looking this up. How many minutes did he play in that game? Because I think he played, what, 11, 12 minutes? 11 or 12, yeah. Yeah, because and that's the one thing I really can't appreciate about DJ Smith is that he recognized that, hey, this is an 18-year-old kid we've got in the lineup. We can't just give him 30 minutes right now. we got to maybe ease him into it with 11 to 12 minutes. And I thought he played very well with the time yeah. he was given. And you'll notice that he gets eased more minutes at, in the next game. He gets 15, thereabouts, which is awesome. Yeah. Another young guy who had himself a game was Drake Batherson. Two assists and two shots. Sorry, two assists, two points. And... He was figuring in, even in goals where he didn't get an assist, he was a significant part of the play, uh, freeing up the goal on, uh, I believe it was Tyranny's goal. 
yeah, freeing up the puck on Tierney's goal, and he was around the net on the Kachuk goal as well. Yeah, and Batherson was a guy that, coming into this season, I was very interested to see how he was going to play, because I know when we watched him last year, when he started the year off, you could tell, like, he was so out of his element, and then he got sent down to Belleville, the Senators brought him back up, and he looked like such a different player, and I was very interested to see how he's going to play, because I was, I was often wondering if he was going to be able to sustain that kind of play he did in the second half. And he did not disappoint. And yes, he had two assists on five shots. I thought he looked really good. I thought he really looked good in the second game against Toronto. And it's weird because the one thing I've really noticed in these two games, how physical Ottawa plays, but how physical Drake Batherson played in this game. Well, it's there's this physicality and this insane confidence that Batherson has, knowing that he he's a he's a big guy who skates very deliberately, very smoothly, and very quickly. And those things together, plus a high hockey IQ, you have a guy who knows how to get to the puck, where to put it. He knows he has the ability. He will make his own time and space. He's a special player. Yeah, and and Batherson was a guy that I think a lot of people who watched him were very high on him. But I think he always had his critics of saying... Because I think they, I don't want to say they often compared him to Logan Brown, because he was a big body, big centerman, and it's great to see that Batherson has been able to put it together, first of all, so quickly and so young in the NHL, that when you watch him, it's actually great to see a young guy like Batherson put it together after watching years of like the Ryan Dezingles and these kind of guys who came into the NHL very early, who weren't being... Who, weren't able to put it together so quickly. Yeah, no, and, like, if he plays like this for two, a few more weeks, probably even if he sticks like this the rest of the season, Drake Batherson's here for good. And that Chuck Norris Batherson line was terrifying. Yeah. No, I'm going to give you an option here, Tim, because I do have notes on both the Chuck and Josh Norris. Which one of you do you want to talk about first? Uh, let's talk about Josh Norris. Okay, Josh Norris. So, it's actually interesting for a guy who had two assists in this game. I thought he had a pretty... And maybe it's just me. I thought he had a pretty quiet outing. And maybe it's because I was so excited to watch the Senators come back after such a long time off that I didn't seem to notice him a lot in this game. Now, I'm interested to hear what you got to say about Josh Norris, given that he did have two assists with no shots. Josh Norris was very efficient at what he does. His movement is very good. He's very good at placing himself where he needs, either where he needs to be or getting, and his passing is really tight. I I think Josh Norris takes the top center role this year. Now that's interesting because I saw an argument on Twitter. People were saying that Josh Norris isn't ready, not for his talent, but they think strength-wise he's not ready to be in the NHL. Like I, I'd like to get your thoughts on that, Tim. He was dummying the Matthews line. He's ready for the NHL. So I think we should talk a little bit about Brady to Chuck in this game because he had one goal, two assists for three points. Brady did not miss a beat. Like, this man was a one-man wrecking crew out there. And I love it when he was throwing the body around, when he was pissing off Wayne Simmons. I was just like, oh, I love you, Brady, so much. And I hope you stick around. Well, what's kind of insane about this is the Ottawa Senators were able to get in front of Frederick Anderson at will. 
they were pushing Toronto's defense around pretty easily. And in this game, at least, the Maple Leafs were having a very hard time getting in front of Matt Murray. And, like, Brady Kachuk was a big reason for that. Like, this is an Ottawa, this Ottawa team, they're, they like to play the body. It's true. And the one thing that I said before we were, we actually hit record tonight was the one thing that I really noticed about the Senators team, not so much in the physicality play because they were quite physical last season, was that outside of Mark Borowiecki, when was the last time you saw an Ottawa Senator block a shot? Yeah, fair enough. Because I saw Austin Watson blocking shots. I saw Erica Branson blocking shots. I saw these guys blocking shots and I'm thinking... What the hell is going on? Like, I never, ever see these guys blocking shots. That isn't Borvo. And, you know, I'll, I'll be honest. Like, talking about Erica Branson, I am not a fan of Erica Branson after two games. And I had no expectations for this guy. This guy came in, and you put it best. This guy's a plug. And, yes, he, yeah, he, had a, he had a couple blocked shots. But for me, I'm just thinking all he did was block shots and flip the puck out of the zone. And even that, he barely did that. Oh, yeah, he got hemmed in. Yeah. Actually, sorry, one note I do want to make. I didn't have it in any of my notes, but I did see it on Twitter. People were talking about the Guy Boucher drop passes. And in this game, I noticed that quite oh, a bit. Oh, the fucking slingshot? Okay. Why? Why are we doing that? I understand that we're not a very talented team, but why? I guess kind of works but what's interesting is you have like watching going back to tim stutzla that man is a one-man zone entry machine he skates so strong the puck that he kind of forces defenders back so like you don't need the slingshot pass you just like between him shabbat and batherson so far you have very nice controlled entry yeah, and it's funny when talking about the slingshot passes because the one thing I really noticed is how sloppy they look. Especially, I, I can't remember if it was... Wouldn't it have been Gabranson? I think it was either Josh Brown or Zaitsev where he tried it. It literally bounced off the back of the net and he stopped like five feet away from it and came back to get it. I'm like, what are you doing? I think it's Mike Riley. No, it wouldn't have been Riley. Oh, Mike Riley. Uh, maybe. I think Will Lannon was uh, the second second PP that game. Maybe it was him. Maybe it was Will Lannon. Uh, yeah, I think so. Okay, so I do got a couple more players we're going to talk about. Thomas Shabbat. That one-timer on three shots. You love it. I, I love seeing that. I thought Thomas Shabbat looked fantastic. And it's funny because in the in the two games, and we'll talk more about this in the second game, Shabbat has been a guy I do think he's played well but maybe because again it goes back to my excitement of watching these games is that I tend to watch it as I can't believe I'm watching this this is so great that I tend to not think very not analytically but I tend to not think very critically when I watch the games I'm like okay this just shouldn't have been this pass I shouldn't have done that this that's their next thing I just watch it as as it's happening. And Shabbat's not a guy that I really tend to... I watched a ton in that game. But I will say that one-timer I thought was great. I do agree with you. I thought he played great in those two games. And I don't know. Just not a whole lot I could really say about this. I was just too excited to really say anything about it. And Shabbat was sub-30 minutes in both games. 
Yeah, well, and I think that's really a testament to the fact that our defense is better, I, I, I guess, if you want to put it that way, when you think about the fact that we have Josh Brown, who actually didn't play bad. No, I like Josh Brown. He's definitely an upgrade on... Uh... Is an upgrade on uh, whatever the hell we called our right defense last year. Oh, yeah. Zaitsev's still a plug. Yeah, I was going to say, one thing I do want to say. Did Artem Zub play in any of those games? No, Zub hasn't seen the ice, and I really wanted to get some ice time. Yeah, because I remember thinking about that. I was like, I don't recall Artem Zub playing in any of those games. Because I know they nope. played, uh, they scratched Willannon after this game, and they put in Mike Riley. And, well, Lannon was a guy, early on, I thought he didn't play bad. He looked like he had some odd man rushes, but he made some bad mistakes. But one guy who I thought played really well in this game is Nick Paul. Oh, Nick Paul in both games was fantastic. I would put him, basically, I'm not sure he is equally talented. As, I'd put him around Connor Brown level, honestly. And, like, that Paul Tierney Brown line is going to be a pain in the ass to play against. It is true. It is true. Now, I'm trying to think of the line. I think it's Stefan Stutzlund, somebody. Somebody on Twitter. And Dadunov. I really like that line. And I, even though Dadunov really hasn't got a chance to get a really good shot off yet. And, yeah, he just kind of looks like he's been there. I think it's still very Dadunov's early. Dadunov's been snake-bitten. He's been playing well. The problem is he just, for whatever reason, God isn't letting him convert. Like, he had two glorious chances in game two. And if God had given him a bit of a better puck, that game would have gone to overtime. Or Ottawa would have won. The Senators did win that game, the one at 5 3. So, I mean, the next game. <laughs> yeah, I know. We're still excited, Tim. We know we've been, we've been <laughs> gone for 300 games, or 300 days, I'd say. Now. The final note I have is about a new starting goalie we have, Matt Murray. First start in Ottawa, 20 to saves on a .870 save percentage. While the stats may not back this up, I thought he played really well in his Sens debut, especially early on when the, the Leafs applied very heavy pressure to Matt Murray, and he stoned them. My big worry for Matt Murray is that third goal. That's a goal you can't be letting in. Yeah, the Tavares goal? Yeah, where it just went right through him, and it could have let the Leafs back in the game. It could have, but you know what? And I think my argument, and you know the last couple of years, I've always argued for the goalies, is that if you watch the Hyman goal, very controversially, you could say that shouldn't have counted because the stick went, looked like it went over the crossbar. But also, even the Kerfoot goal... I don't know where you could really argue that one because, again, Kerfoot... Well, it's a screenshot. He got a shot, but he made the fake and Watson went down. And he waited until Watson moved just a smidge, just a little bit of an opening, and he got a shot off. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, honestly, even though the stats may back it up, but I do think you have a point with the Tavares goal. When it comes to Alex Kerfoot and Zach Hyman's goal, I don't think you can blame Murray on that one because, again... The Hyman goal was a tip-in. The Kerfoot one was a screenshot. He couldn't have seen it. No, no, no. But the third game, that third goal is concerning. He had he had a seeing eye shot the whole. He had the seeing eye the whole way, and he wasn't positioned too. It just went through. That's that, actually one thing I do like about Matt Murray is he has really good positioning. He does. He does. And you know what? And he was a guy coming into the season. I was very 
Uh, he was another guy I was very interested to see because, again, you saw how he played in Pittsburgh, and it didn't. It just looked like everything went right through him, in, especially last season. So I was very interested to see how he was going to play this year because I think there really hasn't been a guy who's come into the organization with that much, one being hype, but also I can't think of another guy who had such expectations put on him because, again, they're, they're basing it off the fact he won two Stanley Cups in Pittsburgh – he had a terrible year last year, and now he's coming into an organization which is... I, I would say he's coming into a team that's not better than Pittsburgh. Which is really hard to say, because Pittsburgh is garbage right now. That's fair, that's fair. Yeah. Well, I think the other thing that might be exciting is he is coming onto a young team. That's true, and he totally got a fresh start. He's getting a fresh start. The fans really want to see him succeed. Where I think in Pittsburgh, the fans really had an opinion on him depending how he played if he played great the fans loved him if he played like garbage the fans wanted him out of town mm-hmm. and pittsburgh has been very notorious I, I always find that pittsburgh has been very notorious to be that kind of sports city that if you are winning they love you if you don't they tell you to get the hell out of town then how the hell are the pirates still there well the pirates don't have a choice but actually it's funny. Look at Ben Roethlisberger. Because <laughs> I can't believe it. I still can't believe this. After a few weeks, they lost to the Cleveland Browns. And it was great. I loved it. But Big Ben, when you watched him against the Browns, you just like, wow, this guy is fucking awful. Like, ugh, I don't know. Anyway, we're getting a little off topic here, Tim. Yeah, I think yeah. I think we no, should... It was a fantastic game. Uh, is there anyone else that I think we've kind of talked about everyone that did anything good? As for players who weren't that great, Cedric Paquette. Oh, Cedric Paquette, yeah. Yeah, and we'll talk about him. The man, he's not great at getting pucks out of his zone and takes takes stupid penalties. The penalty that led to the Hyman goal was needlessly dumb and very ill-timed. And we get more of that next game. The The fact that he hasn't benched is... I'm a little concerned... After because two games, too. It, like, if you're going to talk about accountability, you got to bench your veterans if they are doing stuff like that. Yeah. I think DJ Smith is honestly going to wait until the third game versus Winnipeg. If he does the same thing against Winnipeg, I think DJ Smith will have no choice but to start benching him. Yeah. But honestly, that could be the best because, honestly, if you bench him, who do you bring up at that point? Do you bring up Logan Brown? Because Logan Brown... While it didn't look like he had a great camp, I think he was somebody who people thought very highly of him. He obviously lost out to Josh Norris. And now it's like, okay, well, where do we go from here? So we got to start giving him some ice time. Either him or or Galchunyuk. Yeah. Because Collie, well, even Collie wasn't even playing in these games either. Uh, Colin White played game two, if I remember. Oh, that's right. Game two, he did play. That's right. And we'll talk about that in here in a second. So we got the second of the doubleheader, Leafs versus Senators. This was a 3-2 Leafs victory. Leafs goals were scored by Joe Thornton, Zach Hyman, and some typo-named motherfucker. Suns goals were scored by Nick Paul and Tim Stutzel. Shots were 40-19 for Toronto. Toronto dominated Ottawa throughout this game. The Leafs offense came out buzzing, and their talk didn't slow down throughout. 
Ottawa couldn't get anything going outside of their physical play. However, a strong final 10 minutes and solid goaltending brought the game within one, but wasn't enough to get Ottawa the W. I think you know where we're going with this, Tim. Tim. Uh, talk about Colin White? No, no. Tim Stutzla. First NHL goal. What a beauty one-timer that was. Oh. Well, what's amazing is just how did he follow that play? That really goes to show how great of an eye-hand coordination that kid has. Because if you watched it on the broadcast, it looked like he just got a sweet one-timer off. If you watched it on the reverse angle of that, you literally saw the puck anchor it to him. It was in the air. It literally started going down, down, down. It just hit the ice and Stutzla hammered it. I thought he hit it midair. Because I, I didn't get a chance to watch the game live. I watched it afterwards. But I was looking at it on my phone and I'm thinking like, holy fuck, this kid hit it out of the air. Like, this is amazing. Yeah, no, that goal was insane. And like, the sequence to get him the puck, Colin White digs that thing out, gets it to Shabbat. Shabbat kind of flips it over everyone else on the ice and it just lands right in front of Stutzel as Stutzel gets that beautiful shot. It almost looks like he had the ability to corral it for a split second. It would have. And you know, the thing about Stutzel, especially in this game, I thought he played great. He played fantastic. Like, he was all over the ice. He was actually playing quite physical. And it's weird because he's an 18-year-old kid. Just turned 19. That's right, because it was his birthday the previous day. That's right. But yeah, I watched him. I'm thinking, oh my god, this kid's fucking 19 years old. He's amazing. Well, just watching him move, too. He was aggressive, taking the line at will. That was a statement goal. That was. And you know what's funny? You talk about Thomas Shabbat. When I watched Tim Stutzla score that goal... That's immediately who I thought of, was Thomas Shabbat when he scored his first goal against the Islanders. Yeah. And that whole play was... It was a really good play. I'm glad Nick Paul got rewarded. I am too. I actually thought Nick Paul played very well in these two games versus Toronto. And he's a guy that... I think even Ray Ferraro said it too. He said, you know what? Watching Paul in this guy... He might even said during the broadcast, you watch him and you you get a sense that maybe his ceiling is actually quite higher than we give him credit for. That's perfectly fair. Because his skating has gotten way better since he arrived here. And it just seems like when they put him in the lineup, he's a plug-and-play guy. Like, he goes out there and he plays. The only problem with Nick Paul is that he hasn't been able to make it full-time in the NHL. You know who he kind of reminds me of? Who? Eric Condra. Except... Yeah, that's true. That is true. That's like actually a very, very good comparison, to be honest with you. Like, he reminds me of, like Eric Condra with scoring touch, and he, I think he's starting to take off, take after uh, Connor Brown a bit, as I said previously. True, and Connor Brown's actually been a guy I've been, I've I've always been very happy with Connor Brown, especially last season. But I think that Connor Brown coming into this year, he got the new extension, and he was a guy that. Outside of Shabbat and Dechuk, I thought he was Ottawa's best player last year. And so coming into this year, I was very excited, very hopeful to see how Connor Brown was going to do. And he didn't disappoint. 
he was doing Connor Brown stuff out there. Mm-hmm. And that's another thing. Like, even though the Senators definitely disappeared in the second period and into the third, when the set and this that's young team shit, right? Well, how many shots did they outshoot us by? It was like what four? It was forty to twenty, basically. Yeah, by like the second period, we had what ten shots. Yeah. And I'm like, what the hell is going on? Like, why are we playing so badly? You do have to give credit to the Maple Leafs. When they're on, they're on. But I think the other thing is it's young teams, and it happens, like, they they will end up in disarray. And I think DJ Smith taking his time out when he did was just like a, hey, guys, we're in this bid cycle. Let's see what we can do. And, like, the fact that he was even able to get that last 10 minutes out of them was phenomenal that's true and ottawa actually got a couple of good chances in those final 10 minutes to tie it up unfortunately stutzla only got the only goal out of that but yeah. one guy i do want to talk about and i talked we talked a little bit about him in the, in the last game was matt murray 37 saves a 0.925 save percentage honestly he, in the game. he was the only reason toronto didn't completely blow us out of the water in that game especially because oh. you watched him and he, the senators Again, it's like the same center team of the last couple of years where the other team gets the puck, our players stand there and watch him. And, and our goalie looks at him just like, what the hell are you guys doing? Like, either stop him or make a play happen here. Like, I can't be the only one who's making a play here, guys. Well, it, it's rough, too, because, you, like, Gabranson's a plug. Zaitsev can't move. Which is funny, because, like, Zaitsev, I don't think has played badly. If that makes... He hasn't played well. Well, he hasn't played terribly either. He's been very in the middle, but he's actually been a guy, like, when he gets a shot off, he gets a shot off. And it's like, okay, that's cool, but I haven't made him, I haven't seen him make really aggrievish errors in these games so far in the way that, say, Cody Cece would have. Mm-hmm. And that was a criticism of last year. And I think that's why last year, if you go back and listen to season three, what's the one thing I never did? was criticized Zaitsev because I says, listen, he replaced CC. I'm going to give him a pass. The next year, I'm going to start criticizing him if he starts playing terribly. And I don't think he's played terribly. Mind you, I haven't followed him very closely in these games. I just kind of like, oh, okay, that's cool when that stuff's happened. But maybe when we start going off into the season and a couple more games, maybe I'll start forming more of an opinion about Nikita Zaitsev. Well, I think the big thing here is he can't, like, him and Gabranson can't clear a puck. No. And that's, I felt so bad for Willanen. Because, like, Willanen had to go, basically had to kind of cover the space of two defensemen. Yeah, it, it was, it was bad. It was bad, especially for Gabranson, like I said in the last game. But... You know, there's really not a lot of I can really say about these games that isn't super negative. I think for me, Ottawa's physical play was something that I really took a notice of because, again, DeChuck is continued to be a massive pain in the ass. Austin Watson is throwing the body. Drake Batherson was throwing the body around, which is really hard to believe. But I think the most positive note I could take away from this, and we haven't talked about this yet on this episode. What is your honest thoughts on the Sens' new home jerseys? Beautiful. They look so good, don't they? And you know, for well, me, remember how skeptical I was when we saw the Leech Fanatics one, which leads me to wonder: 
How shit are Fanatics jerseys? Pretty shit. Uh, well, I shouldn't say that. I got a few of their Fanatic jerseys. Like, I got my Chachuk one in there, and it looks fine. But I don't know. And I think that's for me. I was often wonder how the jerseys were going to look when they hit the ice. Because it's one thing when you see them in a press photo or when you see them modeling versus when you see them on the ice. And when you saw them in training camp, which I know a lot of people on Sense Twitter complained about the fact that they weren't airing the scrimmages. And I don't care about that. It's a fucking scrimmage. Like, why do you care? But still, and I know, big, big shout out to Brent Wallace, by the way. I think he was the only one doing, like, his videos on his iPhone doing it. <laughs> which I thought was great. This is why Brent Wallace is a beauty. But also... When I watch these games, that's the one thing I noticed is that they look so good on the ice. And while I am still a minority, I think if they had a white stripe on the sleeve, it would have looked, would have really popped. Like with the late 90s black jerseys. But you know what? I really dig them. I think they really look nice. They really look good with the numbering and everything. And I was like, these actually don't look too bad. Like I have, we haven't seen the white ones yet. So obviously we're going to see them this coming week versus Winnipeg. So I'm very interested to see on that. Now, one thing I do want to mention, Tim talking about the black jerseys without looking this up. Can you tell me the last time Ottawa used them as a primary Jersey? It's a primary Jersey without looking it up, without looking it up. I want to say it was the 2000. 2000-2001 season because Spezza scored in one. That is actually a trick question. The Senators have never used a black jersey as their primary one. Right, because, because the away jersey was the primary before 2002. No, the, the away ones were the secondary jerseys. The primary was the home, the secondary was the blacks, and the last time we used a black jersey was the 98-99 season. Right. 99-2000, we didn't use the black ones. But that's when we used uh, the first area, the first iteration of the 3D logo, which is so fucking butt ugly in retrospect. And look back on that, the jerseys were. I nice. still think it's cool. It's such a we. It's such an odd looking logo. I think the the more recent 3D jer- logo, I think, is way better. That's fair. But you know, but no, I really like the new jerseys. I think they're great. And, you know, I can't wait to see how the white ones are going to look this coming week versus Winnipeg. Also, you have to admit, the Senegoth jersey was fucking sick. Oh, God. I wish I still ha- I wish I had one of those. That's probably the only Sens jersey outside of the cream O jerseys, which I also don't own. If I had to buy a Sen jersey, that would be at the Senegoth one. Because mm. you know me, I still love the shoulder patch, the, Peach t- the Peace Tower one, which I'm, I am disappointed the Senators have still never used it. I've made my point my opinion made on this podcast in the past. And the one final comment I guess I can make, and I know, I don't know if you have Spotify, but in, in one of the broadcasts, they talked about Thomas Shabbat's beast mode, Spotify set list. They made, uh, huh. it's, it's there, there it's there. I like, I'm bringing it up right now. I'm looking at a lot of these artists, like, like Kane Brown, 24 Golden, uh, well, Little Baby, I know who he is. Pop Smoke, I have no idea who that. I'm looking at a lot of these people. I'm like, I don't have a single idea who any of these people are until it's like Caesar and DJ Khaled and Harry Styles. I'm like, and Doja Cat. I'm like, I know who these people are. 
for the rest, I'm just like... because we're not, like, we're not into EDM or rap? But the funny thing is, is that a lot of it isn't even EDM or rap. I don't even know what to describe it as. Something for sure. I mean, I mean, there's Travis Scott. I know who he is. And Future and Drake, I know who they are. And 21 Savage, but... I don't know. Actually, I would like to see Sense DJ Alex Marchant doing some Spotify game day set lists. That would be cool. Oh, just like fancy submit stuff and he kind of adjudicates it? That that would be a cool idea, actually. Maybe that should be our podcast idea for the season is get get Alex to uh, do game day's Spotify set lists. Yeah, that'd be sick. Yeah heard it here first exactly so yeah if we ever so if this becomes a thing tim you heard it here first in the third light plug sensecast amazing so yeah i don't really have anything more to comment on this game tim if you just want to head off into the close for another evening but holy crap we got to talk about a hockey game two of them and we got to talk to an ex nhler and we got to do 24 news stories for top of the hour what a beautiful day i know you know talk about putting the hour in top of the hour right tim yeah no it was a literal hour (laughs) pretty much yeah pretty much well guys thank you so much for listening to the third line plug sensecast i hope you've enjoyed it because believe me tim and i love recording it for you we're on the national podcast network you can find our page on nationalpodcast.network you can find our links to itunes soundcloud and google play we're also on Twitter at Third Light Plug is our Twitter handle. Tim is at M901 Honey Badger. I'm at Great White Gipster, GR8 WYTE Gipster. If you want to choose an email to talk about top of the hour, the games, or the fact that we had Jamie McLennan making his second appearance in the Third Light Plug Sensecast, choose an email. Third Light Plug Sensecast at gmail.com. So, Tim, we've got three games on the board for this coming week. All of them. Are they all Winnipeg? They're all Winnipeg. We are all versus Winnipeg. So, Tuesday, we are playing at home. Thursday, we're at home. And Saturday, we are in Winnipeg. Bloody so, Jets. do we make some sort of bet with Adam? Ooh, we might have to. We might have to do something here, Tim. I mean, it'll be interesting. I mean, he was on our Western Conference preview show, so we'll have to do yeah, something for him. He was our Winnipeg guy. That's right. That is so true, Tim. Yes. For a guy who doesn't live anywhere near Winnipeg, he's our Winnipeg guy. Until next week, guys. I am your host, Tim Gibson. And this has been Tim Jensen. Go Sands, guys. <laughs>